0: Welcome to btec Talk, a podcast series from the Biomass Thermal Energy Council. I'm Joe Seymour, BTEC Program Coordinator for Policy and Governmental Affairs. In our monthly podcasts, BTEC interviews key decision makers and pioneers of the biomass energy industry. This project is made possible by a grant from the U.S. Forest Service's Wood Education and Resource Center. In our tenth broadcast, we examine the frontier of biomass thermal conversion technologies with a focus on gasification for the production of heat and combined heat and power. Government estimates indicate over 500 biomass-fueled CHP plants in operation across the U.S., while a 2009 report from the National Renewable Energy Laboratory concluded that the market for small and community-scale direct combustion and gasification systems is developing slowly but steadily. Joining us is Dr. Richard Bain, principal engineer at the National Bioenergy Center within the National Renewable Energy Laboratory in Golden, Colorado. He manages biomass gasification research activities for the fuel cell technology programs at NREL and coordinates support to the USDA for advanced biofuels. Richard, could you explain the process of gasification in relation to other forms of mass conversion?
1: Biomass gasification is one of three primary types of thermal conversion of biomass. Um, The textbook definition of gasification is it's the thermal destruction of organic matter under reducing conditions. Uh, And by reducing conditions, we mean conditions in which either you are doing partial oxidation using air or oxygen, or you are providing heat indirectly and, in essence, doing high-temperature paralysis of organic matter. And in both cases, the primary products that you make are what we call either producer gas or synthesis gas. Producer gas is a traditional term that was developed for partial oxidation gasification using air where the primary use of the gas was going to be for either heat or electricity. And synthesis gas is a gas that does not contain nitrogen that you would have in air, but in it, it but contains primarily carbon monoxide and hydrogen, uh, with other components such as carbon dioxide, uh, steam, light hydrocarbons. Uh, Indirect gasification: the heat is provided from some external heat source, either by Heat input through the walls of the reactor, or by use of a high-temperature heat transfer solid, uh, it can be differentiated and it, from pyrolysis in simply by temperature, where you know pyrolysis is defined as thermal oxidation, uh, thermal <clears throat> thermal destruction of organic material without any added oxygen. So a subset of pyrolysis could be gasification. In the biomass community, we talk about, we differentiate pyrolysis from gasification through common usage where pyrolysis is run at lower, lower temperatures to produce primarily a liquid product.
0: And Richard, a, f- a follow-up question. What are the applications of gasification systems?
1: The applications of gasification are in terms of heat, power, combined heat and power, and the production of synthesis gas for fuels. Uh, Traditionally, gasification has been used for heating applications uh, in developing countries It's used extensively in in Europe for small-scale CHP. Uh, I think, interestingly enough, during World War II, gasification was used directly as a means of providing providing, providing fuel for automobiles and other vehicles. There were were over a million vehicles in Sweden and Germany that actually used wood gasifiers because of petroleum shortages. But I think historically, the primary applications have been for heat and power.
0: Thanks, Richard. Regarding gasification, what are the benefits of converting solid biomass into a gasified state? Is it more economical, more environmentally friendly? Are there other benefits?
1: The primary advantages of gasification are, number one, there's an incremental improvement in efficiency. Uh, If we look at combined heat and power and compare combustion versus gasification systems, typically all of the increase in efficiency goes to electricity, so that you can still meet the heating requirements. Uh, In addition, Small scale, at small scale, and by small scale I would typically talk systems less than maybe 10, 10 megawatts of electricity, um, you make a product that is usable in internal combustion en- engines which have an incremental efficiency o- over traditional Rankine cycle systems at small scale. Uh, Gasification has an additional potential advantage in terms of emissions in that you can remove many of the contaminants at a lower temperature and with smaller, smaller amounts of gas than you, than you have to handle in terms of gas cleanup in combustion systems. I think the trade-off is that that combustion systems are existing mature commercial technology and that for the most part gasification systems are developing technologies in the first to second generation. So while gasification has Potential economic advantages when both technologies are mature, first-of-a-kind gasification plants tend to be higher in cost than combustion systems, and from a permitting point of view, I think that we have less data out there on gasification-based processes, so we have more unknowns in terms of emissions.
0: We know that feedstock specifications and limitations are integral considerations for all methods of biomass conversion. Is biomass gasification more suited to a particular feedstock, for example, agricultural materials or woody biomass?
1: Okay, I think that looking at feedstocks for evaluation uh, of gasification, I think that, again, like combustion, that the first generation fuels have been primarily woody woody re, woody biomass residues due to cost and availability as a technical person in terms of evaluating feedstocks I think that we have th- three primary considerations we have number one is the moisture content of the biomass and gasification is, Limited to, to feedstocks that have less than 50% moisture con- content. Most gasifiers actually require lower moisture contents than that, but if you have less than 50% moisture content, the heat bal- overall heat balance around the process allows you to do, use waste heat to dry the biomass down to that required for gasification. The second concern, as in combustion systems again, is ash content and ash composition, where the primary concern that you have in terms of ash composition are are components that are volatile at gasification conditions. And of concern there are specifically uh, elements such as potassium and phosphorus. Um, and in general, the the same types of rules apply to gasification systems as combustion systems where you would like to see the, for example, potassium content to be less than about 0.5 Pounds per million BTUs of fuel. Gasification is a little more forgiving than combustion systems because gasifiers typically run at uh, lower temp at a lower temperature than than combustors. Uh, the third parameter, which is kind of a practical, is more a operations issue, is how how the how the feed handling properties are and in terms of what type of feed preparation you need to do to get the biomass into a form that is suitable to feed to a, a gasifier. Uh, gasifiers in general have some, somewhat more restrictions than you have on combustion systems because of the fact that you need to isolate the isolate the gasifier from, from the surrounding atmosphere so as an example you can't use something like a, a stoker a stoker system for gasification you need you really do not want to get let's say, you don't want to get extra air into the system. So certain feedstocks then have properties that make it difficult to to process in a gasifier without extensive feed preparation. And a classic example of that is sugarcane bagasse, which is difficult from a feed handling point of view for gasification. But other than that, if moisture content is acceptable and ash content is acceptable in general you you can look at a wide range of biomass feedstocks
0: Richard could you identify some of the challenges facing combined heat and power systems CHP especially regarding system efficiency and feedstocks
1: the heat content of biomass is lower than coal, and therefore, yes, we will see some incremental loss in efficiency just because of heating value of the feedstock. However, the primary, I think, the primary challenge that we that we have in terms of efficiency is the economy of scale, uh, and that is that if we really look at the efficiency of a thermochemical fuel processing cycle, and, and, and let's use the combustion, combustion case as, as the best example, uh, we improve efficiency of the combustion process by going to more severe steam cycles and to make the economics, because the economics work, we go to very large scale. Biomass suffers in that because of the transportation logistics and the cost of transporting a lower heat content material, that we are limited to smaller transportation rate than we are for, for coal and you very specifically then lose efficiency if you go to smaller scale systems because of the economics in addition if you look at the existing dedicated biopower industry in the u.s you are hard pressed to find any examples of a of a facility that actually incorporates drying into the process. Um, and we're looking at feedstocks that contain usually between 30 and 50 percent moisture. And if we would dry those feedstocks, we would see increases of three to five percent in efficiency, but, however, because of an incremental, even though you can gain efficiency, the incremental investment, at least to date, has, has said that we're not going to put in a dryer. So I think that, yes, incrementally biomass has a little, does have a lower efficiency we know how to improve it but the eco- the economics of doing that are tough
0: if you adventure a projection how do you see biomass technology being integrated into the wider energy market in the near future
1: i i i i think it's actually a fairly complica- fairly complicated subject i think that the okay the Number one issue in biomass that still needs to be addressed is the trade off between heat and power applications and the potential use for transportation fuels. Biomass is a limited resource. We do not have the potential to replace either all of our transportation fuels or all of our electricity with biomass. And therefore, there are some ultimately difficult decisions that we have to make in terms of how we're going to to use biomass. Um, I think that in the short term the quickest potential application that we that we see for biomass is of biomass usage growth is realistically in terms of the potential for co firing in the existing coal coal fired power plants. And that is that will be driven or not driven by things such as the tailoring, the EPA tailoring rule, and co-firing is the least expensive. Say has the least capital costs and is the quickest to implement, and has the potential also for biomass costs being passed on in, in into the rate base. So that, you know, but that's not going to happen, un, well, unless the re- regulatory, you know, the regulations pass that allow it to, to, to happen because the use of biomass in existing coal-fired power plants has... Well, it has to be proven technically to to the satisfaction of the existing utilities, and in addition, it has to be done in such a way that's that's economic. I think that heat and power applications for the direct use of biomass in small scale utility scale plants uh again really only makes sense if there are, you know, regulatory support that make make the economics work.
0: Richard, I know that you've reflected on renewable energy policies in the U.S. in the past. What policy environment and incentives do you see as beneficial to the growth of the biomass thermal energy sector?
1: I don't think that we're going to see major growth in the industry absent some new new incentives or some modification of some of the existing incentives that are out there that make it more feasible for biopower projects. Um, I think that some of the existing Incentives that we have out there are realistically too too short term for biopower projects. You know, where biopower projects, including permitting, are probably three year projects um, to to do a reasonable project, which makes it tough when some of the incentives are are short term incentives it's not clear how some of the EPA regulations like positive regulations in terms of the tailoring rule will impact biopower or CHP projects there has been there is a moratorium on for biomass projects as part of the tailoring rule but i'm not sure that from a planning point of view that that really has Eliminated the uncertainty, or if it's just delayed, and then there are some additional pr- proposed regula- pro proposed regulations, such as the the proposed MAC ruling, which may have a significant impact on on biopow on biopower, simply in terms of the additional hazardous compounds that have to be analyzed and especially ones that have to be analyzed for very small levels. So that's not com- completely clear what how that is finally going to work itself out. And then the you know the final area that's adding somewhat to uncertainty is how the how some of the things in terms of greenhouse gas calculations are go- are going to play themselves out but i mean i think that biomass while small is not necessarily as competitive small also small systems also lend themselves better to chp applications they may lend themselves to district heating applications however in the united states for the most part, we don't have the existing infrastructure in place for things like hot water district heating, which probably makes it less, less attractive than in, in Europe, where they already have district heating systems, and they're just changing fuel source.
0: Richard, any other parting thoughts?
1: Heat and power applications versus biofuels. I mean I think that that's an I'm, I have you know mixed mixed feelings on on it. I think that you know the selection of one versus the other is really not a technical issue. I think that ultimately both both applications are going to be technically feasible. The economics I think ultimately are are going to to both, to both work, uh, and it really comes down to policy issues is one preferred over the other. However, I do make the caveat that the quality of feedstock that you need in general for fuels application is probably is higher than what you need for thermal and power applications. In addition, I think that fuel applications require significantly larger projects to, to be, be economic. So I actually think that there's potential for both. I think that biomass in the future is only, is not a solution by itself, but is part of an overall solution that we have to look at.
0: Well, Richard, thank you for that final thought. I appreciate you sharing your insight into biomass gasification in addition to helping BTEC complete its work grant activities. Really, I appreciate your time today. Further information on the National Renewable Energy Laboratory can be found at NREL.gov. More resources, including interviews and archived webinars in the biomass industry, are available on the BTEC website at biomassthermal.org. Thank you so much for listening.